0: You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering time, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 1, verse number 1, page 886 in your pew Bible. John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's stand to get the blood flowing this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. You may be seated. I hope you've survived Black Friday I hope you've survived Cyber Monday. I hope you have enough money left over to pay your bills and go above and beyond. But it's a season in which we buy stuff we don't need. Amen? Or we buy stuff that we think we desperately need. Or we look for the deals. And I don't know about you, I love getting good deals. If you can't buy it with a coupon, you shouldn't buy it, right? That's the truth. If you can't get it, with a coupon, don't fool with it. Now, you know they jack the prices up and give you the coupon anyway. That's, it's, it's all a gimmick. But a couple of weeks ago, um, w- me and my wife, we, we had been talking about trying to, we wanted to get this little robot uh, cleaner that sweeps your floor up. You've heard of those things? And, and so it's amazing. You know, what, what I want to say is it's amazing how when you look for certain things, it, we depend on other people's testimony, right? We ask around, we do our research, we do this. Well, just a, a, few, weeks, uh, just a few weeks after that, I was at Casey and Rochelle, uh, their house with their small group, and we were just there. We were having Friendsgiving, and, uh, which I'm all about Friendsgiving, amen? Because you're at least with the people you want to be with, right? <laughs> and so we were there, and, and I noticed they had one of those iRobot thing right? And it, was, it, was, it was, wasn't not the iRobot brand, but it was one of those things that cleans the floor. But not only does it clean the floor, it sweeps it up, it also mops. Did you know those things can do that? So we began to ask them about that. And they were just started just ranting and raving how great it was, how revolutionary it was in their life, how it had made an extreme difference in their life. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and buy this for, for my wife. So I went and I got on Amazon. And, uh, and I saw, and it's amazing. I think that Amazon listens to us. Because when I got on Amazon, there the sucker was. The exact same brand, and it had a coupon. I'm not kidding. There was a coupon of $40 off. And so I prayed about it for about a minute, and I clicked a button, and, and I bought it. And it came in two days later. And I gave it to my wife, and I said, here, honey, is your Christmas present early? I bought you a robot so you won't have to clean the floors anymore. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. (laughs) But it's amazing how many things we'll buy on the testimony of someone else. It's amazing how someone else's testimony will impact us. There's power in a witness, right? There's power in a testimony. Well, that's what the sermon is about this morning, the, the power of a witness. But, but we're looking at Christmas, right? And, and we're looking at the unsung heroes of Christmas. And when you set your nativity up, which I'm sure a lot of you have done this week, if you set your nativity up, you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have the baby, you, you have the shepherds, you have the magi who weren't there at that time, but we put them there anyway. We have the cow, we have the sheep, we have all the things out there, but there's one guy we don't ever put in the nativity. His name is John the Baptist. But I want you to understand that John the Baptist, Jesus called him the greatest prophet who ever lived. And it is John the writer, which we're gonna talk about in a second, who includes him into this story. Now, listen, it is important. John the Baptist is not just a throw in. He is an important figure in the Christmas story. He is the witness. He is the herald that God used. And as we've just read John's gospel, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, especially Matthew and and Luke, they give you the the birth narrative. Most of what we know about Jesus' birth happened from what we know from Matthew and from Luke. Uh, Mark just kind of jumps on in. But what John does, rather than giving us the Christmas story, what John does in the very first 18 verses is he gives us the meaning of Christmas. And, and as you read this, this is probably some of the most profound uh, biblical uh, writing that, that we have of, of just, and just its great, magnificent poetry, especially in the Greek. It, it's just its poetic uh, nature in which John is describing who Jesus is, in the beginning was the Word. And, and it goes just in this amazingness, until you get to verse number five, in which the Bible says that the light shines, and the darkness cannot overcome the light." And then as you're going on, you're expecting verse number 6 to be something else extraordinary about the great light of God. But instead, you, you, it's kind of interrupted in verses 6, 7, and 8 with this guy named John. John the Baptist. And then again, at the end of, of this great prologue in, in, in verses 16 and 17, he talks about John again. And, and it's as if we have here... That Jesus is the Word. He is is God in the flesh who has come to save us. But, But yet, John the Baptist is an important figure in the coming of Christ. He is the witness of Christ. He is the last prophet. And so this morning, I want us to focus our attention on this unsung hero who was a witness, who gave a great testimony... About Jesus, And we're going to see three things here, focusing primarily on verses 6 through 8, three things we see about John. The first thing I want you to see about John is that John was sent from God. He was sent from God. Verse 6 says that there was a man sent from God whose name is John. Now, we know that the writer of this book is John. It's not the same John. There's the writer John, who is the apostle John, who is John the Revelator. And then we have John the Baptist. Now, he's not John the Southern Baptist. He's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is the cousin of, of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we get the story of John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, as, as Luke begins the story of Christmas, he begins with the birth story of John the Baptist, in and, and which we see both in Jesus' birth story and in John's birth story, two Uh, Very distinct things. One, both got an announcement. Gabriel came and announced to Zacharias as he was serving in the temple that you're going to have a son named John. And he came, the same angel came to Nazareth to a young girl named Mary and announced you're going to have a child as well. Both had miraculous announcements and both had miraculous births. Uh, John the Baptist was born of parents that were well past their prime in childbearing years. They were way, way out there. They were old. Mary also had a miraculous in the fact that she was a virgin. She had never known a man. And so you have these two miraculous birth announcements, two miraculous births, and John's birth is announced here to these parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who had given up. They just flat out given up and having children. Zechariah was a, a Levite. He was of the, of the Levitical priesthood. He was going to serve in the temple that was built by Herod the Great. And as he was there serving, it was his one time in his entire life he's going to serve. And he, he serves there, and, and he gets this message from Gabriel. And when that happens, it is something monumental in the history of the Bible. It is his, in, in Jewish history, it's monumental. Because up until that time, for 400 years, God hadn't said diddly squat to anybody. He hadn't said anything to his people for four hundred years. Four hundred years of silence, and at least, to what we know in biblical history, is at least five, maybe seven hundred years since God had performed a miracle among His people. And so, in that one moment, Zechariah heard an angel speak to him, giving him a message from God, saying, "You're going to have a baby." Now at that time, Israel was the shell of what she once was. These days of silence, these 400 years of silence were not only days of silence but days of darkness because Israel during these 400 years of silence had been shaken to the core by revolution and war. Most of God's people, even in this day, were still scattered among the conquering nations the Syrians came in about 200 uh, B.C. and savaged the land and subjected the people. Then later on there is this Maccabean revolution that would come from Maccabee uh, who was a Jew who would lead up and and overthrow the tyranny of the Syrians and others and there was this temporary hope that God was, was restoring Israel back to her glory but yet those dreams of Israel's restoration were crushed when Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, came into Palestine and conquered the people of Israel and brought them under the subjection of the Roman Empire. So those 400 years of silence were 400 years of disappointment, defeat. And the last words of God 400 years prior to that were through his prophet Malachi in which Malachi said in chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That there in the midst of this, God says, I'm going to send someone. Isaiah would say that He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Comfort my people, comfort says God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her that her her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make make, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. All of those are speaking to and pointing to a day in which God is going to send the prophet, a prophet like Elijah, before the Messiah comes. So John's birth was a break of God's silence. It was a new era of redemptive history that even though everybody thought God was silent, he wasn't sleeping. As we were saying a moment ago, even while we can't see you, we can't hear you, we know you're working. Because in the silence, God is patiently working everything together to bring the Savior into the world. And yet in this time in history, in this moment in history, it was the darkest before the dawn. But God's promised prophet was to come, and now it has happened. So when you get verse 6, in which the Bible says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, it shows us here that God was working. Even when we didn't think he was working, even when they had given up on him working, God was working. And the reason is this is because God heard the cries, he saw the brokenness of his people, and he personally intervened. Do you know it's interesting that John the Baptist's dad's name was Zechariah, and Zechariah, his name means the Lord has remembered. See, it was the Lord who remembered his prophet, his promise even all the way back to the Garden of of, of Eden, and echoed through the long line of of the prophets that there would be a coming deliverer who was going to make everything sad untrue. And God remembered that promise. You know, for some of you, maybe all you are hearing is the silence of God. Maybe like Zachariah and Elizabeth, you have been faithful, you believe in God, and yet all you hear in your suffering is God's silence. There's no cure for your illness. There's no positive pregnancy test. There's no new job offers. There's no real change in your situation. You continue to live your life praying and trusting, hoping and believing, and yet you feel like nothing is happening. Well, here's the truth. Here's what God wants to say to you this morning. God sees, he hears, he knows, he cares, and he's working. And the same, listen, the same God who remembered His people on the cross remembers you. And He is not intimidated by the things that threaten you, but He is working all things for your good and His glory through the midst of whatever you're going through. See, He's a God who sins. He sent sent John. And God sent John the Baptist to get the party started. John is sent from God because God is a sending God and God chose to use a human to herald the coming of the King and God chose the right person at the right time to share the good news to those who desperately need it. God is a sending God and He is still sending people to do His will. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father send me, so send I you. So here we see about John as he was a man that was sent from God. Number two, the second thing we see about Job, John is this, is that he was a witness about the light. In verse 7, the Bible says that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. If you really think about this, we know him as John the Baptist, but we probably could call him John the Witness. The word here, witness, in some form in the Greek is found 14 times in the book of John describing John the Baptist. He is a witness. All throughout the book of of John's gospel, he uses this idea that John's primary purpose was to be a witness, to to share with the world the coming of the Messiah. And and the purpose is this is that all might believe through him. John was sent by God to be a witness so that those who hear his witness would believe in him. See, believing in the light through a witness of the light is why God sent John there. And because the truth is this, is that no one is going to be saved through osmosis. No one is going to be saved by just simply living life. No, you have to hear the witness of God in order for you to be saved because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. But here's the biggest question that I have. How do you witness about light? I mean, how do you witness? I mean, when you want someone to see light you don't witness about the light, you just hold the light. There's the light. How do you do that? You know, we live in a season right now of everybody's decks, their decks, the halls with boughs of lights, and and, and and you have all these great light displays. We are enamored with light, our, our church has a bunch of lights. We all are about the light. And, and what we, how do you, can you be a witness about the light? Well, you just say, Here's the light, there's the light. There, there's really nothing else you can say. It's, it's magnificent. Well, John here was sent on a mission to tell everybody that light is coming. Now, why would God do that? Here is why. I mean, wouldn't it be obvious that you can just see it? Like, why should I tell you, hey, there's light coming when you can see it, when you know it, when you see it? Here's the reason. Because the light that God is talking about here, the light that John is witnessing about is not seen physically. It's seen spiritually. There's a great difference. In verse 1, chapter 5, The Bible says that the light shines. The light shines. Now, as you read that, it doesn't say that the light shined. It doesn't say that the light shone. It shines. It's in an active tense. It's it's shining and keeps on shining. So the light shines and keeps on shining. Did you know that, that the light of the world didn't just turn on at Christmas? That Jesus has always been shining. He shines, he keeps on shining, but here's something else that's beautiful. The darkness cannot overcome him. You can never defeat his light because the light always defeats the darkness. You go into this room and it's completely pitch dark. You know how you can get rid of the darkness in this room? You don't get a vacuum cleaner. You can't just suck the light out. You don't get a broom and sweep it away. How do you fix the darkness in this room? You turn the light on. The light always defeats the darkness. From eternity past, God's light through Jesus has been shining. But not everyone in the world has seen the light. Why? Because people are spiritually blind to the light. Jesus said this, seeing they do not see. Paul prayed to the Ephesians that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened because seeing the light of Christ is not just with physical eyes, it comes with the eyes of the heart. See, light can be all around you, but if you are blind, then it is useless. What good is a flashlight for a blind man? It's useless. Our world may think it's enlightened. Our world may think it knows everything, but no, our world is spiritually blind and people are just groping around in the darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the eyes, the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. The God of this world, Satan, is doing everything he can to keep people in the dark. He's keeping people spiritually blind. He is Covering their eyes in darkness. And you know, one of the ways in which Satan is keeping the people of this world blind is, is through people in the church not sharing the gospel. See, the light of, the, of Christ, God has chosen, He has ordained that the light of Christ shines through human beings shining the light through sharing the gospel. God has chosen, if you are a believer, you have His light inside of you, and you are called to be a witness to His light. When you and I share with others Christ's accomplishments when He died on the cross and when He rose from the dead, when we do that, our light shines. Light shines through words, it shines through a witness. And when we share the good news of Jesus Christ to other people, we are witnessing about the light just like John did. Now let me give you an example of this. And some of you, you're going to already know this, optical illusion, and I don't need you blurting it all out like somebody did earlier today. So just in your mind, don't just keep it in. What do you see when you see this? Don't say it out loud. I know you want to. Don't say it. When I first saw this, I saw a duck. How many of you see a duck? All right, all right, don't say the other one. Now, others say, when I see this, I see a rabbit. How many of you, when you first saw it, you saw the rabbit? All right. How many of you, when you saw it, you saw the duck? How many of you, when you saw it, you saw the rabbit? All right, that probably tells us a lot about your personality. Now, some of you said, I saw both. Well, good for you. (laughs) Now, let me give you an example. Some of you in this room did not see the duck until I told you there's a duck there. Some of you did not see the rabbit until I told you there's a rabbit there. So as you looked at that picture, you were blind to the other side of that picture. But when I say, hey, look, this is not just a duck, it's a rabbit. I am witnessing to you of something you do not see. That's what a witness does. Because we have a world that sees the world as only a duck. And they live their life as if everything is a duck. And that duck can mean, you know what, there is no God, there is no afterlife, there is no heaven, there is no hell, I'm not afraid of hell. Not worried about going to heaven. And, and more and more people in our world are living that way, that they are blind. They only see things as a duck. Or some people say, you know what? They're, they're blind to living only a duck life. And that is that they, they live for themselves or maybe they live for their religion. But what our job as a witness is, is to say, you know what? You think it's a duck, but really it's a rabbit. Now listen, every illustration falls flat, but that's basically what witnessing is. You see life one way, but let me show you God's way. That's what witnessing is. See, the purpose of witnessing, the purpose of John's witnessing was this. He says, there was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Why? So that all through him might believe. Through who? Through who? Through John. God sent John to be a witness of the light. God sends us to be a witness of the light of the world. Listen to me what I'm saying. Without a witness, no one believes. All who are believers, all of you in this room who are believers, came to the light of Christ because someone pointed the light to you. God used their witness to open your eyes. See, the hope of our church, and maybe you're a maybe you're first-time guest and you're thinking, man, this is kind of a weird Christmas sermon, but it really shouldn't be. The hope of our church is not to say, you know, we're smarter than you, we're better than you, we know something more than you. That's not what it's about. Listen, we're all a bunch of idiots. And I'm the chief of them. But we're idiots that have been saved and transformed by the grace of God. And what our hope is, what my hope is, is that the light clicks on in people's hearts. Have you ever tried to share Jesus with somebody and they just don't get it? Like the light's on but nobody's home? But when the light clicks on, it's amazing. You know, just like Oscar. He, he knew about God, but, but when the light clicked on, it changed his life. And this week we, we had also, and, and CYP, if you don't understand our, our inside lingo, <laughs> it's College and Young Professionals. It's a new ministry that we've started this past year, something that we're really excited about what God is doing. We're seeing college and young people on fire for Christ. It, it's just incredible what God is doing there. And this past week, this past Sunday, there was a young lady who came to the College and Young Professionals group. And, and that night, Pastor Mike shared the three circles of evangelism. We shared the gospel. And, and, and after that, she, she spoke to one of the, the volunteers there in the group and, and they were talking and she, you know, she had some questions and, 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 and it was just in this moment she looked at him and she said, you know, for the first time in my life, that all made sense. That's what we're hoping for. Because you can't, you can't make someone a Christian. You can't beat up someone and say, you've got to believe this or, or die. It doesn't work that way. Forced religion is no religion at all. Our prayer is not to get someone immediately to pray some prayer, so we have to manipulate them. No, our job is just to point them to the light and let the light do the job. And that's what happened. How was John a witness to the light? Two ways, through his lips. John pointed to Jesus saying, this is the one. He is the Son of God. That's John 1.34. He is the light of the world. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He used his words. In Matthew's gospel, he called people to repent, to turn from their sins, and to believe in the Messiah who is to come. You cannot be a witness without speaking. You just can't. It's impossible. You are only a witness through your lips. It's the best way. You can't just be a witness Merely by lifestyle, although that is another way in which John was a witness to his life. He lived differently. Yes, he dressed weird. The man wore camel hair. Now, maybe that will come in style the next couple of years. I don't know. Probably watch it next year. You're going to see everybody, all the YouTube, TikTok people, they're all going to be wearing this camel hair stuff. There's going to be a new camel hair line, except it had to be fake camel hair. Because camels really stink. And he ate strange things. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I like the wild honey part, but I don't know if I want to eat locusts. He lived a life of poverty. You say, well, I'm living that now. I should be pretty holy right now. (laughs) But what made him a witness is that he lived his life in such a way that it testified to the world that he didn't live for himself. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. One of the best ways that you can live your life is to live your life where everybody sees he doesn't live for himself. She doesn't live for herself. She lives for someone else, and that's Jesus. And that's what he did. His life matched his lips. His walk matched his talk. You can be a good person. You can go to work every day. You can, you can wear bracelets. You, you can have... Christian music on. You, you can be polite and nice to everybody. You can not cut off anybody in traffic. You can be the model citizen. But if you don't tell people why, you're a hypocrite. Because what good is it to live a good life in front of people if you never tell them why you live the good life? So what John did is he testified not with his, just his lips, with his life. But listen, your lips better match your life because the watching world is watching Listen to this quote from Brennan Manning. He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and they deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So he was sent from God to be a witness of the light, but he was not the light. He was not the light. Why would John put that there? In verse 8, he says, he was not the light. He was not the light. Why does he say that? Because both John the author and John the Baptist didn't want anyone to confuse the messenger with the Savior. He didn't want anyone to confuse the messenger of the light being the light itself. So both John the Baptist and John the author say, Emphatically, John was not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, the Jewish leaders are going to send the priests and the Levites to John and ask him, Who are you? And John says, I'm not the Christ. And as a matter of fact, as you read this, he piles on negatives in which John the Baptist says, I did, do not deny that I am not the Christ. In other words, John says, I am absolutely no way, any way, shape, form, or fashion the Christ. I am not him. See, he understood who he was in light of who Jesus is. There is a tendency for even good people to mistake the messenger for the Savior. We all, listen, this is, I wrote this this week and I really thought it just really put some bells and whistles in my mind, is that all of us have a tendency of wanting to put a face on the invisible God. And so we look to pastors or we look to leaders and we place them in a higher place than they should be. I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, you saved me. I look at them, I want to say, if I saved you, you're going to hell. <laughs> Listen, I can't save squat. But if Jesus saves you, you're saved. You say, well, why would you make that point? And here's why, because there are some pastors, there are some preachers, there are some leaders, there are some Christian celebrities who will use this to their advantage to manipulate people. What was John's posture? John's posture was humility. Verses 1, 26 and 27, he says, He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. Untying the shoe of someone in Jesus' day was the job of the lowliest servant. It was the most degrading act in Jewish culture in that day. It was so degrading that Jewish rabbis were forbidden to to ask that of their disciples. You had to be low to have that job. And John said, I'm not even worthy of that job. Over and over again, John says, I am not. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. Am not the, I'm not literally Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the light. I'm not even worthy of untying his shoes. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who has come to save everybody. Humility. You know what humility is? Humility means knowing your place and accepting it. John says in John chapter 3, verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist. But I have been sent before him. I came before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's the groom. The friend of the bridegroom or one of the the groomsmen who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must, say it together, decrease. Because I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. I'm a groomsman. When the the bride comes down the aisle and she joins the groom, everyone's attention is on them. I mean, how many of you have ever been to a wedding and and the groomsman was the star of the show? There'd be a weird wedding so John says, listen, my job is just to be like the best man. And when the bride comes down the aisle and the groom comes out, my job is just to stand there and make sure the groom doesn't pass out. My job is to be there and when the bride and the groom come together, the joy is complete. I can go behind the scenes so they can be on the scene. And so John says, I'm going to decrease so that he can increase. I'm second. You know, I get to do a lot of weddings. Done two in the past two weeks. Um, when, when they begin, it, it's amazing. When those suckers begin, I'm the guy that starts it, for the most part. Like the whole, the whole shebang. Everybody, right before the wedding, everybody's they come to me. They You know, we have coordinators, but they come to me, make sure, you know. And then I come out with the groom. And when I come out, everyone's attention's right there. Like you feel this moment. It's like you think, man. I could screw this thing up really easy. <laughs> and, and it's right there, and I'm right here, and I'm standing, and typically I stand right here, the groom stands right there. And then the wedding party comes, and people start focusing on the wedding party. Then you have these little kids that don't know what they're doing, throwing stuff around, running around. This other day, it's all that happened. I don't know why you have little kids in a wedding, but you do. It's cute. Because the cute part is they don't do their job right, but it's cute. Then all of a sudden, I say, all rise, doors swing open, here she comes. She walks down the aisle, everyone's attention's on her. Then they come up to the groom. Bride in there is with the groom. And then I begin to speak. And no one's paying attention to what I say. <laughs> they care about how he looks when she he sees her. They care about her dress. I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. (laughs) Then we get to the point where it's time to kiss the bride. And I have a signature move. This is a signature move. I've got it patented. That once it's time to pronounce, I get out of the way. Because nobody needs to see my ugly face in their wedding kiss picture. I get out of the way and then from then on I'm just a nobody ceremony's over I get up and I say stuff nobody listens it's like most of you (laughs) nobody pays attention to me I fade away they don't care if I'm going to the reception or not unless I'm supposed to pray at it I go to the reception they don't Most of the time, they don't want to take a picture with me. I mean, I kind of say, hey, would you want a picture with me? Hey, you know. (laughs) If we we have to. I go to reception, and I'm waiting on one thing. The cake. And when the cake comes, I go home. Why? Because that day is not about me. I don't leave weddings with my feelings hurt. Because I was not the star of the show. You know what my hope is? My hope is I don't say anything stupid that goes on YouTube. That's my hope. I just want to do my job and fade out. I must decrease. They must increase. That's what John said. John said, I'm just a witness. I'm just a witness. It's about him. It's not about me. Church, that's what we have to realize. It's not about us. It's about him. Count Zinzendorf said this. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. This is not about self-exaltation. It's about Christ-exaltation. We are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. And John the Baptist never saw himself as a star of the show. Now, i got to end quickly because I'm out of time. You may say, What does John the Baptist have to do with Christmas? Well, he's the one that God used to prepare the way for Christmas. He represents the long line of prophetic voices in Israel pointing to the Messiah. But you know the difference between John the Baptist and all the other prophets? John the Baptist saw him. And he saw him and believed in him. Now, he had his moments of doubting, but ultimately he would die as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ remember what I said about Christmas? See, we think Christmas is all about tinsel and about trees and about presents and about family traditions. Christmas is more than a gift we receive. It is a call to action. It is a call to action to a life that declares that Christ has come and that he's going to come again. So if you are a Christian this morning, you have been sent from God to be a witness to the world. Your friends, your family, your co-workers that the light has come. And it is the witness that God uses, and it is your witness that God can use to turn the light on in someone else's life. The same light that changed your life can change their life. Let me end with this thought. Did you know that there are 155,252 people who die every day in this world without a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's basically the similar amount of people who live in Kansas City, Missouri proper or Clarksville, Tennessee. Imagine one day all of them dead. There are many people who do not know Jesus. The light has come. Come to the light. This week we had our, some of our adults and our children and our student ministry write down names of people they're praying for that need to have a relationship with Jesus got hundreds and hundreds of names and they prayed for their dad they prayed for their friend they prayed for somebody at work they prayed with their neighbor prayed for all these kinds of people this morning who are you praying for thank you for listening to the central sanford podcast for more information or how to take your next step visit us online at centralsanford.net